the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, after God's victory and a time of peace, Israel decides they want a king because, well, everyone else has one. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 1. The title of the message is misplaced hope. First Samuel chapter 8. And I will be referencing a, a few passages in the book of Exodus, so you may want to hold that spot. But where we find ourselves in First Samuel chapter 8 is good times for Israel. I mean, when we started the book of First Samuel, it was not good times. They were under Philistine oppression. Things were bad. It got worse with, under Eli. But of course, in chapter 7, we had that great victory under Samuel. And Israel has enjoyed God's favor now under Samuel's leadership. The nation's relationship with God is restored. They were free from Philistine oppression. But as so often happens over time, people tend to forget how awful things were and they grow restless with their forward progress. This is now going to be compounded by the fact that Samuel is an old man and there's no clear successor to his leadership. And so Israel grows tired of the current system and they demand a change. Now, change can be good sometimes. I hate change. Some of you like change. Some of you don't like change. Change can be good sometimes. But change is never good when the reason for change is in a misplaced hope, when it's placed in something other than the Lord. So we're going to see that as Israel demands a king. So chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, we begin in verse 1. And we start here with the situation in Samuel's old age. It says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So we start here in verse 1, and it says that it came to pass when Samuel was old. Samuel, at this point in the book, is about 60 years old. So, I mean, he's come a long way from the little guy that we met whose mom was bringing him new outfits every year. 
Five years have passed since their victory over the Philistines, and Samuel has used the time wisely. He has opened a school of prophets that we'll meet later on in the book of 1 Samuel to teach God's word to the people since the Levites were kind of a lost cause at this point. In addition to this, Samuel was spreading out. He knew as he was getting older that he would not be able to do as much, and so he was spreading out his responsibilities, and he made two of his sons judges alongside of him to reach the regions in southern Israel. And so it mentions that the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second was Abia, and they were judges in Beersheba. Now, by the names that Samuel and his wife gave to their sons, I mean, these are good names. Uh, Joel means Jehovah is God. I still remember my oldest son's name is Joel. And uh, we brought him home from the hospital. And the very day we brought him home, Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door. And it was awesome because I'm holding my little baby boy. I mean, a little tiny thing. I'm holding my, in a little hand. And I'm holding him. And they come to the door. And they're like, oh, how old is he? Oh, yeah, he just came home. What's his name? Joel. And they said, oh, that's a name from the Bible. And I said, yes, it means Jesus is God. <laughs> the conversation didn't go much longer after that. But that's what it means. You know, Jehovah is God. Jael and uh, and Joel is a name that we find multiple times in the Old Testament. Of course, the prophet Joel is probably the most well known. There's another godly Joel. We always would tell my son Joel, "You're not named after this Joel. This is not the good Joel." His brother's name was Abia or Abiah, and that means my father is Jehovah. So these two names show that Samuel and his wife, they sought to establish the Lord's leadership in their family. Jehovah's God, he's in charge. My father's Jehovah, he's our leader, he's our provider, he's our head. So they sought to establish the Lord's leadership in their family and to instill the concept of God's kingship in the lives of their boys. And so these guys were judges in Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is the southernmost city in all of Israel, very far from Samuel's circuit of ministry that we learned he took last week. So he was expanding to try to reach as many people as possible, and his two sons were appointed to this. Now, what is a judge? A judge is a leader who handles legal disputes. That's what their job was. The Levites were there to handle spiritual instructions. That's not what a judge does. But they were to handle legal disputes in the nation, to measure complaints or cases brought to courts and how they measured up with God's law. And judges had been a part of Israel's history right after they left Egypt. Soon after they left Egypt and Moses became overwhelmed with all of Israel's disputes. If you remember, Moses' father-in-law came for a visit in Exodus chapter 18. And in Exodus 18, he saw everything Moses was doing by himself. And he tells Moses in, well, he says to him in verse 17 of Exodus 18, he goes, the thing you're doing is not good. This is not a good plan. You're going to wear yourself out. Verse 18, you shall surely wear away both you and this people that is with you. I mean, you're going to wear yourself out and they're going to get frustrated with you because they got to wait in line all day for you to give judgment. She says, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it yourself alone. So hearken now unto my voice. I will give you counsel and God shall be with you. This is his advice. You be for the people to Godward. In other words, you go seek the Lord that you may bring the causes unto God. You go bring these really difficult issues to the Lord. And then when God gives you an answer, you shall teach them ordinances and laws and shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people, able men, capable men, 
such as fear God, men of truth who hate covetousness, and then place such over the people to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Our own court system is mirrored after this technique where you've got local judges and then if the case is too hard or you don't think the verdict was correct, you can appeal to a higher judge and then of course you can go all the way to the Supreme Court, Moses being the Supreme Court in this case. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And then it shall be that every great matter, that's what they shall bring unto you. But every small matter, let them judge. That way it'll be easier for yourself and then they shall bear the burden with you. And so this was his advice in verse 24. And so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose capable men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought to Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. So this has been a part of Israel's culture and history all the way from the beginning of their being a nation coming out of Egypt. Now, God, after Moses set this up, God gave instructions on legal matters to these judges in Exodus chapters 21 through 23. I'm not going to read them all. But I do want to share the ending with you in Exodus 23, verses 6 through 9. This is what it, all of God's instruction for these judges culminated in. In Exodus 23, verses 6 through 9. He says to them, these are the warnings he gives to them. In verse 6 of Exodus 23, you shall not rest the judgment of your poor in his cause. Keep yourself far from a false matter. And the innocent and the righteous do not slay. For I will not justify the wicked. You might, but I won't. And you shall take no bribe, for the bribe blinds the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, a foreigner, someone who's not an Israeli. For you know the heart of a stranger, seeing that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it was like to live in a foreign land. So God gives these warnings. Don't have a double standard for rich people and the poor people. In other words, stick to God's standard, no matter what part of the socioeconomic strata they're part of. Secondly, don't listen to false testimony. Thirdly, don't pronounce a sentence of death if there's any doubt of guilt. Fourthly, don't take a bribe. And fifthly, don't treat a foreigner differently than a national. Stick to God's standards. Those are really good principles to lead by if you are an authority over legal matters. But sadly, as we turn back to 1 Samuel 8, Samuel's sons did not heed that warning. They did not live by these rules. Verse 3 says, and his sons did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after lucre, and they took bribes, and they perverted judgment. Now, that phrase, turned aside after these things, it's an interesting thing because it it gives you the impression that they just kind of left the path, but that's not what that means. The word turned aside, or the phrase turned aside, it means to extend the path, to spread out the path, to make it wider, In other words, Samuel had lived on a narrow path, one that conformed to God's standard. His sons didn't go on a completely opposite or different path. They just widened the path, making it into one that ignored God's warnings for judges. And why did they do that? It tells us, and it's a good old King James word, because of lucre. What is lucre? I don't know, but it doesn't sound good. Lucre is money gained through immoral means. They saw this as an opportunity to make a bunch of cash. 
And so they did this by taking bribes that influenced their legal decisions. They took bribes and they perverted judgment or justice. They, the word they're perverted is the same word as turned aside. They extended or spread out how the law works rather than give justice. They twisted and they bent God's laws to give guilty people wiggle room and innocent people greater chances to be condemned. Now, there's a reason that Jesus called following him a narrow path, a straight path. Because the broad path leads to destruction. The wide path leads to destruction. So making the narrow path less narrow to suit ourselves doesn't lead to the same destination as the narrow path. So in essence, it is not really the same path, even though you can convince yourself, I'm on the same path. In addition to this, broadening the narrow path undermines the fact that God knows what's best, that he knows what is true and he knows what we need. He knows how to keep society the best. And if we're going to base our lives on only some of the things Jesus said, it begs the question of why we'd base our lives on anything Jesus said. If someone says, well, I like what Jesus said here, but I don't like it here. Well, why is he authority on one thing, but an absolute flub on another thing? It begs the question of why follow anything Jesus said? So oftentimes people will say, well, you know, you just stick to the Bible, Pastor. Well, you just, everything the Bible says, there's no wiggle room. Yes, you're right. Because I believe in a loving, wonderful God who is more intelligent than I am and you are and has our best interest in mind and laid out boundaries that are best for us. So yes, you're correct. (laughs) I believe all of it. Because I really don't see the sense in only following some of it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the narrow path. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's also our loving Savior who never makes a mistake. So if we're going to follow him, our standard must be everything he said, with no bending, twisting, or widening. Now, Samuel's sons, they weren't obviously off the right path like Eli's sons. Their actions were more discreet, therefore more deceptive, but the result was the same. The effect on the people was the same. They did not like it. And so in verse four, it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and they came to Samuel unto Ramah. And they said unto him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. So now make us a king to judge us like all the nations." Now, they had no idea that Samuel would be around for another 30 years. That was very rare for someone to live to the age of 90 back then. So the nation, they thought, this is the end of the line for you. We love you and we love your leadership, but you're not going to last forever. The nation wanted change and they demanded he install it while he was still alive. Now, in Israel asking for a king to judge them or rule over them, they had never made that demand before when a judge got older. Never. I mean, they had had numerous judges up to this point, 350 years of judges. They had never made this demand. God was their king. So even though the Lord picked different leaders to govern the people, there was always a continuity of his leadership. So they had never phrased it like this before. They'd never seen it that way before. But now they do. They didn't see that, well, God has continuity. They thought we want some more visible and obvious stability. 
What they focused on was the fact that for 350 years, they'd gone through these cycles of, well, judge dies, and then the nation falls apart. And so even though God always raised up a new judge, they didn't like not knowing that. They did not like not knowing who that would be. And they didn't like the possibility of things falling apart if they strayed. See, they wanted an arrangement that lasted beyond the death of a human leader, a monarchy, a line of kings. Now, did they get this ingenious idea of a more stable system from the Lord? No. (laughs) They said, we want to be like the other nations. Now, I do need to point out that while Israel shouldn't have made this demand under these circumstances, it was not necessarily wrong to ask God for a king. God had promised from the very beginning of his promise to Abraham to give them kings. In Genesis 17, 6, I think he tells Abraham that kings shall come from you. And then I think he repeats it later on uh, to Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 17, 6, the Lord says, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come out of you. And then he repeats it later in the chapter to Abraham and Sarah. So that was not necessarily wrong to ask God for a king. Their wrong lay in the reasons they wanted a king. Other nations have the stability of unbroken lines of leadership to keep the nation moving forward at all times, Samuel. We need that too. While that statement may be impassioned, it is both woefully optimistic and willfully ignorant. Nations with kings had plenty of instability. Even today in our world, transfer of power in some countries is brutal, taking and leaving massive scars upon the people they claimed to care for. It was far worse back then. Transfers of power were almost always bloodbaths. But the Israeli elders are blind to that because they latched onto a problem that wasn't really the problem. You see, the source of their instability wasn't that they didn't have a king. The source of their instability was that they wouldn't follow the king they already had. It was never because of the lack of leadership. It was always because of the lack of obedience. And when people incorrectly pinpoint a problem, they will never arrive at a correct solution. And so Samuel, when he hears their demand for a king, he is really upset. Verse six, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. The word there displeased is actually three words in the Hebrew and it means evil in the eye. When they said it, it was like somebody had just squirted lemon in his eye or something. You know, it was just, how could you suggest such a thing to me? You might as well have kicked me in the shins. You might as well spit upon me. Why, how could you suggest such a horrible thing? The idea of this displeased, it's, it's when something is so evil in your hearing and in your sight that it leaves you distressed, disturbed, and miserable. One of these three words comes from a root that means that which is wrong, that which is bad. Samuel's thinking, things are going so well for the nation. And while you might be right about my sons, this is not the right path to take. Samuel believes with all his heart that this demand will send the nation in the wrong direction. And he knows he's not going to be around this time to help them find the way back. He's old. And so, it's a Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Now, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that Samuel probably expected God to say, tell them no, I'm their king, duh. For how could God condone something that was evil? But I do believe Samuel made a mistake. You see, 
Israel didn't need him to keep them on the right path. After he was gone, they'd still have the Lord. And the Lord had a plan that overruled Israel's plan. So in verse 7, I think Samuel gets a bit of an unexpected answer because the Lord pauses after he gives it. The Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto you. Colon, which means God paused to let his answer sink in. Tell them they can have their king. Now, have you ever prayed and you start reading the word and all of a sudden you're like, you see the answer of God and you're like, that's not what I expected. I remember me and Bev, we don't always see eye to eye. We are very strong-willed individuals. We're very stubborn. And, and we see things our way and we can knock heads. I know that surprises you. <laughs> I'm such a peaceful, agreeable personality. And we were having a discussion about how we're going to educate our kids. You know, whether we're going to homeschool, public school, whatever. I got saved in public school. Public school was my training ground for sharing my faith. I got saved and I learned how to live a separate life. I learned how to share the gospel. Uh, And so I was like, my six-year-old is going into kindergarten to be a life for Jesus. And of course, my very intelligent wife thought, that may not be the best decision to throw our five-year-old to the wolves. Maybe we might want to do something different. And she had a heart that was in a different direction for that. And man, we could not come to agreement where we were both had the same heart. And I remember I used to go for a walk back then when I'd have my prayer time and my devotion. And I went for a walk and, you know, I'm praying. And I've been praying about this because I'm like, you know, we got to get in line. We got to be on the same page. We can't do anything until we're on the same page. You know, it's real important when you're married. A little bit of advice there. Don't go, go be a lone ranger. You gave up that right when you said I do to be a lone ranger. So, you know, I'm walking, I'm, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm in Isaiah of all places. I don't even remember the text. And I'm reading and I'm praying about this very thing and I'm reading and the Lord's just like, I want you to do this. And it was totally opposite of what I thought the Lord would tell me. I remember staring at that verse and just, really, Lord? I was that off, wasn't I? And that's probably what it was like for Samuel. Tell them they can have their king. Lord, I... I've been hearing your voice for 60 years. I think I've finally not heard your voice correctly. The Lord lets it sink in. This had to have shocked Daniel. But I think the reason that God gave his answer time to sink in is because Samuel had made another mistake. One, I think, that had wounded him deeply. Samuel had made this about him. See, the Lord, after he lets it sink in, the answer, he says, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Listen, no matter how much your kids might mess up at times, you love your kids. I love my kids. I see their strengths. I see their weaknesses. I see things that are are solid. I see things that are challenges for them. And you you pray for them. You you teach them. You know, you try to encourage them. You try to lead them. You try to, you know, influence them and all that kind of stuff. And Even when maybe they might not be fully stepping up to the plate in a way you'd like, you're still proud of the areas where they do. You love them. They're your kids. And these are still Samuel's sons, even though they're grown men now. It had to hurt. And he probably took it as a personal failure. And so the Lord says, they have not rejected you. And the word rejected means to despise, to treat as worthless, to be utterly displeased with. And it's like the Lord says, Samuel, the people love you. They know you raised your boys better than this. They know you don't have anything to do with their sins. This isn't about you. It's not even about your sons. It's about the same thing it's been about for the last 350 years. 
Their problem is with me. For that they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. It's not that they don't have a king, Samuel. It's that they don't like my rule. They still want me around, but they want a different arrangement for when they go their own way. One in which a king might be a little bit more flexible in dealing with their sin than I am. And I know you can't see that, Samuel, but I'm the one who sees the heart. So while this might not look as awful as the idolatry in Israel's past, the truth is this is still the problem that's been in their hearts since they left Egypt. Verse 8. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto you. Listen, the Lord says, whether it was the complaining in the desert, whether it was the golden calf, or whether it was doubting my promises to defeat the Canaanites, or whether it was a refusal to drive out the Canaanites from the desert to the conquest of the promised land, Israel has always tried to widen my standards. They have not forsaken you, they've forsaken me. The word they're forsaken, it means to leave a former association. You know, it's interesting, from the very beginning, Moses explained the relationship that they would have with the Lord. He'll be your God, you'll be his people. He will bless you, watch over you, protect you. You will keep his covenant, his commandments. And the people came out and they said, we're all in on that. We love this idea, we'll do it. And over time, Israel began to kind of bucket that relationship to pull further and further away. And you know, whenever we add something outside of God's standard to our lives, we've made a decision to leave our closeness with the Lord too. And because the Lord loves you and me immensely and he knows what's best for me and for you and he wants to be close to me and to you, he'll never be okay with me expanding my life to include things that are outside his standard. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.